watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here, Here comes the binge. binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest streaming movie releases. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we have how many? One, two, three, four, five, six? Six movies for you. Six. Uh, the High Note, The Lovebirds, The Half of It, How to Build a Girl, The Vast of the Night, and Driveways. And as always, we're going to be rating these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And Send It Back means... Lockdown is too short for that mess. That's, uh, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> You've been thinking about that one all month? No, it just came to me. Oh. I know uh, I know. in the past episodes, we've been like, I mean, who really cares? Because time no longer has any meaning. Uh, But, you know, as we inch ever closer uh, to being able to once again be outside in the world, uh, you know, we don't know how much lockdown time we'll have left. So you don't want to use your lockdown time poorly. Uh, That is true. You want to make the most of the time that you have the biggest excuse that we've ever had to just stay inside and watch movies. Um, I find it it's much harder to come up with reasons to not see the movies, um, excuses to give you, um, now that I can't go anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're six for six this episode. Yeah, I am. And I watched three of them yesterday. Holy shit. Yeah. I think you were like, how, how's it coming? And I was like, okay, I can watch two. I was like, what am I, what am I saying? (laughs) I can watch three. Yeah, I also watched three movies yesterday and not even for the not even for the show. I had already watched everything. So I was just watching three movies just because what else was I going to do with my Saturday? So which three did you watch? You know, I knew you were going to ask that. And I don't (laughs) and I don't remember. Uh, Really? (laughs) I know I watched um, I watched a movie that I was considering for this month, which was Bad Education. Uh, Not Mm. the not the Almodovar movie, but. This new movie that I believe was at Sundance this year that HBO bought, um, starring it's a it's a true crime kind of uh, dark comedy starring Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney, um, is a wild true story about this like major financial fraud embezzlement that was going on at this sort of like Tony New Jersey school district. I know apparently there is such a thing as a Tony New Jersey school district, and I don't mean Tony as an Anthony. Uh, of course, because mm-hmm. there's tons of those. Um, right, right. But uh, so I watched that. Was it good? Um, yeah, yeah, it was. It was. It was really very well acted, very well made, really fascinating. A great journalism story because, kind of the, the punchline of the whole thing is that, uh, toward the beginning of the movie, there's this young student journalist played by Geraldine Vizwanathan from uh, Blockers, who's like doing this kind of puff piece on the school and she's interviewing Hugh Jackman who plays the superintendent and um and he's like oh do you need more from me than just a quote and she's like ah it's just a puff piece and he's like well it doesn't have to be like just you know do write more than a puff piece and she's like oh okay and then that is like his downfall <laughs> uh and then it, then you get how to build a girl yeah exactly then it leads into how to build a girl um so uh that was uh, a good little movie Oh, I watched um I watched the original In Cold Blood, mm. uh, because I have subscribed to the Criterion Channel now, mm. um and uh, so I watched that. That is really a that is a brutal movie. <laughs> Very harsh. Um, it is bleak as fuck. I mean, especially for having been made in the '60s, mm. that is a harrowing, harrowing movie. 
Um, and so that was, that was really, really great, but tough. And God, what else? I don't even know what the third movie was. But then I, I wound up watching um, a few episodes of Ryan Murphy's Hollywood on Netflix. Uh, did uh, you just start it? I did just start it. Yeah. So I'm like, th- I just watched the George Cukor pool party episode. Mm-hmm. How many times so. did you watch it? <laughs> just the one. Just mm-hmm. the one. I know. I feel like he's actually really trying to be like not as skeezy um, as he would have been in previous years. I think he's trying to be more sensitive and like not... Because his his main actors, he he doesn't even really. I kept waiting for just like a nice full bodied ogling shot of the lead actor and his like butt, but it will not give us that. It just mm-hmm. won't give us that. And so I feel like Ryan Murphy is trying to be less creepy, um, because especially since he's kind of you know taking shots at the George Cukors of their day and by extension the Brian Singers of today. Right. And I think you know so it 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 you know he's kind of been rebranding post uh pose to be much more of a sort of a a woke uh auteur mogul and uh so i think it behooves him to not be in the business of ogling his beautiful male leads although of course he still casts very good looking gentlemen in his shows um so i'm I'm not reviewing that because i don't know how i feel about it i we just finished it and i don't um, know how i feel about it yeah um it's it's been yeah i mean it's it's definitely a very indulgent Ryan Murphy thing. You know, it's just like him just taking Netflix's money and just building his own fantasy with it. And, um, and to what end hard to say, I know Ingu has definitely taken major issue with it, um, with amusing consequences that I'll have to tell you about offline. (laughs) Um, but, uh, but yeah, so God, what movie else did I watch last night? This is bad. Was it Capone? Because I, <laughs> curiously, they didn't make it onto the final list. Uh, it was not Capone. Um, that's definitely, oh, oh, I know what it was. I watched, um, the Circus of Books, the Circus of Books documentary on Netflix. Ah, mm-hmm. Yes. That was the other thing that I watched. That was and, good. Uh, that was good. That was I really good. like that. Um, I just loved how, like, the entire time the mom just kept, like, yelling at her daughter, like, this doesn't matter. Get out of <laughs> my face. This is a movie. Why are you making this? <laughs> yeah, make this about this. This is interesting. Ah. Uh, <laughs> that was hysterical. And the daughter just being like, oh, my God, shut up. Just let me do it. And mom's like, ah. Uh, it was just, <laughs> it was hilarious. You want art? I'll show you art. It was <laughs> Ryan Stryker in 1981. <laughs> Jeff Stryker. Yes. Uh, yeah. In, in seeing Jeff Stryker show up to be interviewed was a gag. That was that was I was surprised. Um, but yeah, I mean, having worked at the Nob Hill Adult Theater in what essentially in the storefront, which was fairly similar to a lot of what they sold at Circus of Books, I related. And the Knob also is closed now. Uh, so I, I, now I just wait for that documentary. And if anyone out there is listening and wants to make one, I will be interviewed for it. So, so those are the things I watched yesterday, not the six movies that we're going to talk about today, but those are the things I did watch. You, however, did watch three of these movies yesterday. So they're very fresh for you. Can we talk about Capone for a second? Because that <laughs> was on the docket and then it wasn't I kind of want to well, hear what happened there. Well, I think I told you over email that we weren't going to talk about it. <laughs> oh, Okay. <laughs> I was like, I don't think we need to prioritize Capone. Uh, and mm. uh, and you, but you, you, you persisted in trying to watch it out well, of your uh, yeah, own masochism. Okay. I see. I misunderstood. I misunderstood because then you you sent it, and then I was like, oh, I guess we have to watch it. And I started <laughs> that was watching more of it. an FYI. That was Got like, it. here's okay. the link if you want to mm-hmm. watch it for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no. So that's how that. That's how. Yeah, I was. 
I was not going to prioritize that one just because it didn't seem like it was worth our time. Wow, uh, is the, it? Wow. Let me, can I review the first half an hour of it? Be my guess, yes. What a fucking nightmare. <laughs> that was so hard to watch. In the first 30 minutes, he, uh, Tom, why they got Tom Hardy to do this when they made him look like someone that doesn't, from the photos, look like Al Capone or anyone? He looks like a Dick Tracy, uh, like the Warren Beatty Dick Tracy uh, villains in like a weird plastic, shiny, sweaty face. Um, And he yells like unintelligibly. And in like you see him puke, pee pee on himself and and shit the bed. Ah, Uh, this is all the first half hour? Yes. Disgusting. Uh, And I know you're supposed to be feeling like a... Syphilitic does that mind? all happen in one incident? Like, is no. it like just a really bad night where he like pukes, pees, and shits, and then he's like, "Oh, I gotta stop drinking." Like, <laughs> no, this is not the Jason Leroy story. Okay. <laughs> this is Capone. It's not Leroy. Not really. Uh, it is. It happens, I think, in like twenty-four hours. But and it's supposed to, you know, be showing how he's how he's falling apart. But it is so oh. difficult. Uh, it, it, it's so gross, and and then there's this weird part. And this is kind of the last thing I saw. He's trying to like remember where he put this like ten million dollars or something, and he goes on this fishing boat with uh his friend who's played by Matt Dillon, and they they're fishing, and then an alligator like steals his fish because they're in Florida, and then he takes out this gun and he shoots the alligator in the water, but it's mm-hmm. so clearly an animatronic alligator. It's like a Disneyland ride of this like, al- and then. I just I couldn't anymore. I I don't know. It was like nothing here is trying to show me what I'm watching, or what what's happening. It was very uh, uh, it was a very hard sell uh, to keep going, and I'm so glad I didn't, and I'm so glad I didn't have to go back. The uh, yes, I'm sure the the Captain Hook hat that the alligator was wearing was a dead giveaway <laughs> that they had that they had just fully taken it from it like a little parrot from, on uh, his shoulder. From a Disney ride, yeah, that's that's how you know it's just a Disney prop. Uh, yeah. Huh. Well, uh, I apologize if you misunderstood. That's on me. That's on me. Uh, but I'm glad you didn't finish it. Uh, and, you know, we as a nation have yet to figure out how to address the problem of how Tom Hardy is never comprehensible. <laughs> I mean, um, <laughs> amongst amongst our nation's many issues, uh, it's it's it, it it keeps getting backburnered, and we just never deal with it. Um, but you know, ever since uh, he played Bane, and we all had to you know like that <laughs> that situation. Um, and he has been un- unintelligible more or less ever since. And he's just keeps getting work, keeps getting put in things. Can't understand a word he says, but I mean, mm-hmm. I guess, it's, but he's pretty, so people are like, oh, I don't care, I'll look at him. Then That's all right. make him okay it just it's so he's so hard to look at in this movie yeah he doesn't look like a person i don't it's it's just it could have been anybody right it's uh it's very 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 funny to imagine you trying to watch that while the world is burning all around us and you just being like i mean come on (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah the bar gets very low um now but i did make it through the six that we have well, that is what matters. I mean, this mm-hmm. is this might be the most movies that we've like fully reviewed on an episode, and you've seen all of them. I've seen all of them, and we've so just I, snuck in two extras. And <laughs> we snuck in a few extras, exactly. I mean, I guess I snuck in like three extras, and you put in four. So we're reviewing <laughs> ten movies in this episode. So let's get going, shall we? 
Yeah, let's do it. Um. Anyway, how's your moving going? <laughs> How dare you? Please proceed. <laughs> uh, the first movie we're going to talk about this week is The High Note. Set in the world of the L.A. music scene comes the story of Grace Davis, a superstar whose talent and ego have reached unbelievable heights. Maggie is Grace's overworked personal assistant who's stuck running errands, but still aspires to her childhood dream of becoming a music producer. When Grace's manager presents her with a choice that could alter the course of her career, Maggie and Grace come up with a plan that could change their lives forever. I don't know if I agree with that synopsis. Yeah, I also when I when I when I pulled that from like the official website, I was like, that last line is just not true. No, that's really not how it goes. No, no. So scratch uh, that last line. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's the last no, part. there's no real plan uh, between. I mean, there's that's true up until a point, maybe like midway through the movie or right right before uh, you know right before the manager tells Grace off and she has to back away and find someone new to work with. Right. Um, but anyway, so that aside, um, yeah, that's more or less what the movie is about. Uh, <laughs> but then of course, you know, there's conflict, but uh, so you had to pay to watch this and I do apologize for that. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> it's the least I could do. <laughs> uh, while we were, uh, while we were chatting before we started to record, uh, you made a, a throwaway reference to this being somewhat La La Land-ish, and I also had that thought while watching. Did you? Yeah. I uh, did. Because it had that same sort of like, oh, there's this young white person who's going to save R&B. Yeah. Yeah. And no one gets it like she does. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which was a little obnoxious. Yeah, uh, it it is. Yeah, there's very much. A, there's a there's a, a Seb. <laughs> was I can only remember his name because he named the bar after himself at the end, right? right. Sebs. <laughs> you see, like um, the neon. <laughs> right. So this is. Uh, so we we've got another Seb on our hands, uh, in Dakota Johnson's character, uh, who yeah is an assistant to a pop diva, um, and but she has ambitions beyond that, and we have these shots of her like sitting at home. Uh, you know, just like with with fucking Garage Band open or whatever, just doing uh, I think her she's own. She's using Logic Pro and she's got her little MIDI controller, little little MK2 Ableton Innovation. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> well, I I, I see no, the floor to, to you to describe this part of what what happens in the story. <laughs> no, she's just a little bedroom producer, right? Like anybody, little like bedroom a producer, like a SoundCloud producer, you know. She, you know, Dakota Johnson is you pretty much classic SoundCloud rapper. Uh, <laughs> little Dakota Jan- Johnson, <laughs> little coat they call her, uh, <laughs> little Coda, and um, and so, and I was I was having flashbacks of Pitch Perfect uh, during that part because it felt very similar to when we have those dramatic cutaways to Anna Kendrick in her uh, groundbreaking work as a mashup artist. Mm, I was um, Coyote Ugly flashbacks. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. Both valid, both valid points of comparison. Both movies that are ultimately more fun to watch than this one. Also, flashbacks to that movie with um, what was the one with Christina Aguilera? Burlesque. Burlesque, right? That yeah. guy she starts mm-hmm. dating, who's like making little tracks in his house. Oh, that's true. Yeah, right. The yeah. So we have, I mean, it's just like you know, a young LA striver just out there trying to make a difference uh, with their art. And uh, so this is it's about art at the end of the day. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, well, I just need to acknowledge that. I mean, I love Tracy Ellis Ross. Um, and I do think that she 
gives her performance is is probably the best part of this movie um in that she's not really like she's not afraid to get into the more sort of like prickly uh edges of the character mm-hmm. um you know like it's not a character that's always likable um i feel like she does a pretty great work at making the character feel more three-dimensional than um than she probably did on the page um but and i and i'm and i know that it has to be very, very nerve wracking when you are the daughter of Diana Ross mm-hmm. to go out into the world and like kind of sing for the first time because Tracy Ellis Ross started as a model and then gradually became an actress, has never really sung. And she does it in this movie and uh, generous, generous auto tune is involved. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll leave but it at I that. Mean, yeah. And, and, I don't know. I didn't think twice about that in the movie. I wasn't really like expecting that to be the takeaway. I wasn't looking for this to be like a star is born for yeah. Jennifer Hudson. Dream yeah, Girls at moment. all. Um, but I think that being Diana Ross's daughter, she was able to really nail what it's like being an you know an over the top diva, mm-hmm. uh, adored by the world, um, and what that looks like in every day. Right? Like for sure. How do you weigh was... this? Like yeah on like this crazy way the world sees you with being like a normal person and i think that really uh maybe you know fed into what you accurately describe as being a really really well-rounded character both um likable and personable and also obnoxious and rude (laughs) like we all are right yeah i mean i for sure was just like living out like a gay fantasy of like imagine if diana ross's daughter was also an amazing singer so you know Uh, that was just my that was my my thwarted wish fulfillment um and i i guess it also strained believability in the sense that since her vocals aren't quite there um it was a little bit more difficult to imagine that this grace davis character was like this kind of four star a list you know super diva um mm-hmm. but that that that's but that that's only you know that's just splitting hairs about the vocals um and that's it it's a fictional character so what i feel do? like i didn't notice the vocals i i was like sold um like, i think the beginning of the movie has like a lot of her like performing and and i didn't mm-hmm. think twice about the vocals that it that they didn't match up to her reputation until yeah. there's like one point where they're singing she's i think singing a cappella while uh, yeah. dakota johnson's playing the piano and <laughs> i was i wasn't looking for a moment and i was like oh is that what dakota johnson sounds like because her <laughs> voice sounds so thin and, and right and tiny and i was like oh yes. oh no that actually was okay <laughs> okay, I thought that was uh, Dakota Johnson doing like a song, but okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no, it's Tracy. It's fine. Uh, so yeah, so that's it. So yeah, I, I I would say the best part of the movie is is Tracy's performance and Dakota Johnson. I have to acknowledge has become a bit of a gay icon recently. Ever since, uh, oh right. Ever since ironically, she's become a gay icon by taking down one of the greatest gay icons, uh, who has become increasingly problematic. Yes, Ellen. Uh, there is a video I'll have to send you of, um, some, some insta gay, um, filmed himself, uh, playing that Ellen interview with Dakota on his phone. He's holding it in front of him. And he is also saying every single thing Dakota says, like at the exact time that she says, (laughs) um, like memorized it down to like the millisecond and every tone and intonation. It's, 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 it's a treat. So yeah, so now so now that Tico Johnson passed progressively came for Ellen on national TV, the gays worship her. So good. and uh, and she's not bad in this. It's just that 
you know, the writing is is pretty weak. And there is I and I, I don't want to reveal necessarily, but let's just say that there is a twist at the end, which struck me as more than a bit racist. <laughs> uh, interesting. Uh, because I think it, it, it perpetrated a sort of a, a sort of a, a longstanding white uh, kind of stereotype about the black people that they know in their lives. Mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I hear you now. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that Dakota Johnson works in this role because she's not likable. <laughs> and neither is this character. <laughs> in a way, that's not a detriment to the film. Right, yeah. because the character goes like get gets a comeuppance at every turn that they try to like. Oh, it's true. They're not they, her character isn't like you know evil, but she no. you know makes some selfish choices, and she she gets she gets you know what she deserves for them. Things don't you know necessarily <laughs> work out for her easily, yeah. um, and I think that kind of tracks to who Dakota Johnson is. You know, every you know coming <laughs> off of the uh, those movies. I keep wanting to say the Hunger Games. That's not what they're called, um, but shades. they could be. <laughs> <laughs> She's just this kind of like you know. Uh, it's, it's really inside the Hunger Games. Those movies are the Thirst Games. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, She's like a little splinter that uh, is is around and and it really kind of works in this movie. <laughs> no, I that's don't know. That's how I feel about her. No, I mean, I I I adore her. Uh, oh, I've interesting. Al- I've always felt that she. Um, was kind of getting cast in those movies was the worst thing that could have happened to her uh, because, you know, they were so maligned, uh, rightly so. And uh, But I always thought that she was the best part of them. I thought that she brought um, movie after movie, she did the best to bring some sense of sort of wit and intelligence to the line readings, um, despite the intense vapidness of of the scripts. So no, so I'm, I'm a fan of hers. and uh, And I think that this is fine work from her uh i don't i don't blame her for this movie and i will also say one thing i was very very thankful for in this um there's a scene toward the end where uh so we find out that her dad played by bill pullman is this dj and she grew up djing like on his radio show and she plays a version of the first cut is the deepest i never heard before that just stopped Uh. me in my tracks (laughs) and so i was like i sat through the credits to be like who is that and um and so I discovered a new singer. <laughs> um, her name is P. P. Arnold, and she was like sort of a '60s soul singer that was masterminded by Andrew Luke Oldham, who was the manager of the Rolling Stones, and who discovered Marianne Faithful. And um and now I've gotten very much into her. So I'm oh great. <laughs> I'm very appreciative to whoever the you know whoever the music supervisor was on this that they used that version mm. of the song because I had never heard that before, and it's incredible. So and that let me just say about Dakota Johnson. What, what I'm trying to say here is that. <laughs> It's like in the in the and I, I keep wanting to call them Hunger Games <laughs> in Fifty Shades of Grey, right? The whole the whole thing is that like everyone could tell she didn't want to be in them, right? And the way she approaches Ellen is very like is very no nonsense, um, like straightforward. I'm I'm not t- like no, you're wrong. You didn't, no, you know. Ellen, I invited you, right? Um, and I think that carries over to this character that is like, you know, very. Uh, very into like you know memorizing facts and not super she's not like an america sweetheart right she's not like i'm just here to be like cute and lovable and likable she like is on a mission of like whatever she wants to be doing and i think that's also what this character is interesting yeah i could see that it does feel like uh 
true to her persona to the extent that there to the extent that Dakota Johnson has a persona this character does seem to fit it pretty well uh there we so, go so yes uh so let's we we, we circled around a few times we found a point of a, a point of agreement. <laughs> I would also point out that before the Ellen interview, there was also the breathtaking brilliance of whenever Dakota Johnson was being interviewed on the red carpet at the Oscars next to her mother, Melanie Griffith, and basically had a full on sort of snotty daughter moment where she like told her mom to shut up like in front of the cameras <laughs> because they were asking her mom predictably and stupidly like, how do you feel about your daughter being in all these sex scenes? And she was like, well, you know, sex is a beautiful thing. And my daughter has a great body or something. And she was like, mom, shut up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but Dakota Johnson is a true teller we all need. And uh, so <laughs> I give thanks for that. But uh, but yeah, no, this this movie. Uh, yeah, this this movie is kind of a non-starter. It's it's the second movie directed by Nisha Ganatra after Late Night, which was also terrible. Uh, mm. The Mindy Kaling Emma Thompson movie. Um, so it's really bumming me out because these movies that Nisha Ganatra directs, I'm always like on paper, I'm like, yes, please. Um, but then they come out and they are just, just mediocre, totally forgettable. Mm. Uh, like, I feel like I fully forgot that I had watched this movie like three minutes after it ended. Um, <laughs> so yeah, not, not, not a big fan. I would not say this one is worth a 1999 rental. No, no, I would say it's, 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 you know, if it's becomes free streaming, um, it is a very it's very shiny it's very mm. uh very much a diversion um there was some music it's... talk in it that i enjoyed there was like some like specific little like sort of like music nerd like dialogue riffs here and there where i was like you love Ooh. the phantom planet meet cute <laughs> i know he did <laughs> that was that was adorable it's and like, once you know, again everyone like looks nice and the conflict isn't too bad and uh, you know the love interest his house is beautiful and it's fun to watch, you know, um, the Grace Davis character be on tour. Like it's, it's fun in a lot of ways. It's it's oh yeah. my god! And there's a an amazing uh, cameo by Diplo. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, fucking Diplo! Yeah, yeah, that so was good. that was pretty ridiculous. Pretty yeah, ridiculous. It's, it's kind of a silly movie, but I I think it's I think it's I'm I'm giving it like a, a consume plus. Oh, plus. If it was free, I would say binge. Well, no. Consume plus. Oh, come on. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get crazy. Yeah. Um, I would say it's just a, just a straight down the middle consume for me. Um, whether, and I would say for, for, for 1999, I would say send it back. Yeah. No. Um, yeah, yes. Yeah. This is not, by no means, do I think that this is worth paying 1999 to watch once. Right, I think um, for like the 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 advertising it's getting, it looks like it's like something you would run out to the theater to see and like go pay the nineteen ninety nine. And and I think I don't think that's true, yeah. but I do think it's a if it were free, I definitely think it's worth like spending a, an afternoon avoiding the news. Yeah, it's a totally you can and you. It's an airplane movie. It's a, it's a harmless diversion. Yeah. Um, with with some <laughs> with some mildly problematic uh, mildly. racial racial optics, uh, but you know, all in all fairly harmless and it has a great version of the first cause of deepest in it <laughs> so which now jason's giving you so you don't even need to watch it yeah yeah look it up pp arnold fantastic mm -hmm. it's available to rent on apple amazon google play and it's rated pg-13 for some strong language and suggestive references our next movie is free to rent on netflix um and it is the lovebirds 
On the brink of breaking up, a couple gets unintentionally embroiled in a bizarre murder mystery. As they get closer to clearing their names and solving the case, they need to figure out how they and their relationship can survive the night. So this is another one like the high note that would have had a big theatrical release and that, you know, was having its trailers more or less added to every single movie in theaters, what it felt like for several months prior to theaters closing. And but but just like the high note, this also feels like a movie that I just couldn't have imagined. It just feels made for streaming, you know? Yeah. Uh, like this is not this feels like this is, I would say less of a good movie than the high note um like this is even more of just like i think i literally forgot about it like while the credits were still rolling um it is just a real throwaway trifle of an action comedy hmm. Wait, you hmm. enjoyed it <laughs> i mean this is the one I, I i when i stopped watching capone and i was like oh and you were like you could watch the lovebirds right so let me let me put that in the context of Sure. what I was coming out of and how this movie <laughs> saved me from finishing Capone. So I feel like I have big emoji with heart for eyes for this movie because it, <laughs> it meant I didn't it. have to finish Capone. So <laughs> that's very much a, a part of my uh, um, experience with it. But I don't know that I think that this movie was bad. Mm-hmm. I, I, again, like entertaining, made the time, made the time go by. You know, it's um, an interesting pairing of leads that are uh, interesting interesting is a unique choice of word yeah because i feel like we haven't seen well Issa ray had the photograph right that was yeah. she was romantic lead in that but that just yeah. came out so that's kind of new but mm-hmm. you have kind of a, a, a tv actress making uh right. romantic lead and then kumail a comedian I well, these are like both hbo the actors these are both hbo tv Ooh, actors yeah, yeah you're right i didn't think about um, that it's a vehicle for them plain and simple and the movie sort of lives and dies on their appeal and mm-hmm. i i love them both and i found them both to be very enjoyable in the roles i feel like they were given more or less carte blanche to just sort of bring their own persona and their own kind of sensibility to the humor uh and they're both hilarious people so I think in that sense, it worked. I don't know that I necessarily thought they had the most chemistry in the world as a couple. I, I think that that's what, what makes it interesting is the fact that um, I was kind of expecting it to be that they were this couple and they were, were just kind of, you know, going through this crazy, uh, you know, episode over the course of a night. But I didn't realize there was going to be this other dynamic of them in their relationship kind of being right. in peril. Mm-hmm. And that allowed both of them to really not just be this couple in love right it, they had to you know be very uh they're arguing they're vulnerable it's like watching a couple fall apart um mm-hmm. so that in that part it it's it's interesting because it wasn't just like these two lovebirds are now on this uh caper um there was like another level to it that i wasn't expecting and i found it really engrossing interesting yeah i mean i i was entertained by it um but i think that just given the pedigree here because this movie is directed by Michael Showalter, whose last movie was The Big Sick, mm. which was a Best Picture nominee. Uh, and before that, he made Hello, My Name is Doris with Sally Field. Mm. Um, you know, so like he has really and of course, he's a comedy legend going back to the state. Um, and it just feels like if I hear Michael Showalter is directing a movie with Kumail Nanjiani and Issa Rae, I'm like, oh, damn, like that they're going to fucking bring it. And I don't feel like it was brought. 
<laughs> I feel like, yeah, it's a, it's, it's just similar to what we're saying about the high note. It's a perfectly pleasant diversion. Um, but you know, it's fast food. Like, it's just kind of like, it's, it's like a million movies you've seen before, uh, mm -hmm. beat for beat for beat for beat for beat. Um, there is nothing surprising about anything that happens. Um, and yeah, so at the end of the day, you know, the, the writing is not particularly stronger or, or fresh. Uh, so it really is just, it's purely a star vehicle. There's, there's barely a movie around those performances. Um, right. but the performances themselves are like, yeah, like they're totally funny and charming and engaging. And, and I think that, yeah, like it is, I did find myself emotionally invested as we like watch them. The beat, you know, the first scene of the movie is a flashback to when they first meet and are like head over heels. And then we jump forward four years and they're fighting bitterly and on the verge of breaking up. And, you know, and I, I did get emotionally invested in that. Issa Rae's acting, I would say, is stronger than Kumail's. Um, mm -hmm. And so she really pulls the heartstrings and you are invested in this. Like she's so good at that kind of clenched kind of like, you know, trying to not engage on like heavy emotional stuff. Um, but then you can just see it behind her eyes that she's like trying to just look at her phone or whatever, but you can see how upset she is. And she's, she's great at that kind of inner life. Um, mm -hmm. and, Kum and Kumail, Kumail is always likable and sympathetic. So, um, so yeah, I think that it, it's a, it's a fine vehicle for the two of them, but it's just a throwaway. Like it's, it, this is a movie that was made for streaming. Yeah. Yeah. But here's where we are now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's made for the current moment, I guess. Streaming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess I, I can't really disagree with anything that you said, which is rare and <laughs> just shows that I am breaking down as a person. <laughs> Sounds great. Like, I, feel like I'm scouring my word bank to find something to say. But, <laughs> uh, uh, no, that's a solid track. I'm trying to even remember who else is in it, if anything else is even notable about this movie. But, you know, it takes place in New Orleans and yet it really doesn't feel like it makes very little visual use of New Orleans. Um, it's just mm -hmm. kind of, yeah, yeah, there's just, there's just, yeah, it just feels like, uh, yeah, it feels like it was made for Netflix, even though it was a major studio movie that Netflix wound up purchasing. So I remember when this movie was, was, I first saw the trailers for it and I, I kept trying to figure out how to reconcile this in a world with Queen and Slim, which <laughs> right. is a, yeah. a very different look at a similar yeah. situation. Dramatic take, similar story. Very, very different takes. Um, yeah. not that they have to be compared, but it was a weird time for this one to yeah. come out like within a year of the other. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and now, and now it feels, feels like approximately eight to 13 years have passed since Queen and Slim came out. So, right. Exactly. So the lovebirds gets to stand on its own, uh, its own worth such as it is. So, but to me, I mean, I would say this is another consume. I, I'm not going to say I send it back. Like, I, cause again, like I was engaged i was entertained i laughed a little i give it a consume based on the strength of the leads and that's it agreed consume based on the strength of the leads all right <laughs> this is gonna be a great <laughs> podcast all right maybe maybe we're gonna maybe we'll, we'll we'll disagree on something else let's say um maybe it'll be the next movie which is the half of it an introverted chinese american student finds herself helping the school jock woo the girl they both secretly love in the process, each teaches the other about the nature of love as they find connection in the most unlikely of places. We it feels like a million one. years. It feels like a million years since I've seen this one. It's probably <laughs> been like four days. Had you had you already watched this whenever we were talking about using it for the show? No, I hadn't. I okay. had been seeing um, a lot of uh, 
press about it and it, yeah. it really caught my eye because uh the director is also the name mm -hmm. same name of, of somebody that i work with and oh, so really it was always <laughs> this very funny thing of seeing like you know lesbian Love movie by this alice Wu, yeah. and i was just like that's <laughs> uh, <was> very funny <laughs> but i had not seen it you were, you were feeling like dakota johnson at the end of the high note you're like, exactly. do they know each other? Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Remind me what this one's about again? No. Um... <laughs> Look at your script. <laughs> so I wonder if we're going to disagree on this one, because I was actually really underwhelmed. Oh, same. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> moving on. God uh... damn. <laughs> Wow. Really in sync and isolation. I know. And we're, yeah, we've never been further apart physically for a longer time. And yet we are just, yeah, simpatico. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's the physical space that we share that really fuels <laughs> the, 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 uh... <laughs> the, the aggression. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was really underwhelmed. So I had I... seen oh, so much, so, so, so much coverage of this. And, you know, and I was certainly aware that, like, this, you know, this hyperbolic sort of queer media coverage of it, you know, could have been, okay, this is, you know, people are celebrating the optics of this movie less than the movie itself. Um, but like, wow, I really, I was just like unmoved. Um, I didn't think it was funny. I didn't think that even really brought very much to this insanely familiar um, Cyrano formula. Mm -hmm. Um like I was like, okay, cool. Like I, I knew the premise. I was like, yeah, that sounds really interesting. I'm, and based on all this, all this celebration of it, it must do something really fresh and inventive with the Cyrano formula. But it doesn't. It doesn't at all. Like if it had been cast differently, it would have been literally just a by the numbers Cyrano story. Right. Um. You know, and the fact that it ultimately is, is a story with sort of a, you know, sort of a queer woman of color as the lead, it doesn't really pay off that much with that. Not at all. Um, we did spend a, a big uh, chunk of time doing a deep dive on this one after um, uh, my partner and I watched it. Mm -hmm. And the movie is beautiful. Yeah. I think it's really, really um, uh, atmospheric. And I think the acting is great, um, especially by the, the main uh, lead character. Yeah, she's great. Um, and so we're trying to figure out, like, what didn't work. And I, yeah. and I, t I think, to me, the, the writing of... Uh, the character who is the love interest yeah. is the the is where I can pinpoint where things break down. Mm. I think that that character and like how she navigates situations, um, you know, has Aster, a big effect on right? Aster, right? On on the story, and there's a lot that doesn't make sense, and it everything else kind of falls apart around it. I think that the story of the main character um, is was really on point and i think that the relationship between her and her friend um please fill in the names as i'm just leaving them out <laughs> um for some reason i knew yeah I'll, i can look up imdb while we're talking <laughs> since no one can see me paul uh they're like unlikely friendship as he's kind of this like you know quote unquote dumb jock and she is this mm -hmm. uh yeah, smart nerd that gets made fun of what's the he name was so name? cute um ellie ellie yes um how what they how they bond was was really sweet and um and then things kind of get to this point where yeah the last third is really kind of a kind of a nightmare um i feel like it could have really 
ended before there's this whole kind of like uh, outburst at, at the church where mm. Ellie's boyfriend, um, and that's not believable. Like, why would he want to get married? And, and it felt it's, very, I mean, that, that was such a cliche scene. I mean, it was like the graduate. It was just like, oh, mm-hmm. come on. What are we, what are we doing here? Um, uh, the fact that they had kind of developed, uh, uh, Ellie and her friend Paul developed a, a sort of a, like he developed a romantic interest in her seemed a little right. wild. If that had just maintained to be a platonic relationship and, uh, and then it, it would have manifested in a different way with the, with the Astra character because it, we couldn't understand why she was doing what she was doing. Like the town didn't seem so far removed from the rest of the world that they couldn't leave, mm-hmm. um, and do other things. And why this rich kid would want to get married right away to her didn't make sense. Yeah. Um, and it was just kind of all forced together at the end in, in a way that I felt was just a disservice to the rest of the movie. Because I felt like it yeah. was building towards something. And then what it was building to just didn't work out. Yeah. Yeah. It was just kind of it was just kind of a shrug, this whole movie. And yeah, like there were I just did, I felt like it was really lacking in insight. It just didn't really have much to say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, and the characters weren't particularly compellingly written and, you know, like I, I, yeah. And I, I do think that the aster of it all is probably the biggest problem because Ellie and Paul in their own situations are interesting. I thought that, you know, Paul as a sort of like quote unquote dumb jock character, I really appreciate the way that the movie kind of interrogated the way that his sort of privilege played out in, in, in the way that he interacts with the world and the things he takes for granted mm-hmm. and, and the things that, that, that it, you know, that Ellie is like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, what do you, like, why do you think you can do that? Um, I thought that, yeah, their, their friendship was interesting and he had such a precious puppy dog kind of affect and, you know, and she's all kind of, you know, shy and severe and, and yeah, their friendship was interesting. And I was, and I guess this is based on, or it was like loosely inspired by a friendship Alice Wu had um, in her, <laughs> so funny. Uh, it had in her, in her early twenties, she had like a really close straight guy friend and she's queer. And, um, and, but then their friendship kind of fell apart um, because of uh, a, a woman that this guy was dating and she was like threatened by their closeness. Mm. Um and uh, so, and, and that that would have been a more interesting story, honestly. Um, yeah, if she, if like she had just whole... made it specifically about that, then this kind of just this sort of like lame duck queerano <laughs> trademark Jason Leroy twenty twenty. Nice his his whole backstory with his family and his interest in cooking and and meat, um, and how that bonded <laughs> him to like her father and and yeah. and her family was everything was just working so well. And then this mm-hmm. Astrid character, who's kind of a nothing, who. Yeah. Is in one in one way, you know, very clever and witty and smart and interesting, and then the other is is does, has nothing to say and is doing nothing. Uh, yeah. Doesn't it doesn't work? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, she she is kind of. I mean, it's always the way that the the dream girl is written in these things is usually not the most compelling piece of it, and it just you know they always rest a lot on the actor cast as a dream girl and like what kind of sort of like charisma she can bring to it. So that you like can buy in with the characters that you're like, yes, I too, <laughs> I understand why they're all obsessed with her. And, and those characters are usually more, you know, enigmatic if you are the Ellie or the Paul and you don't really understand them as much. Um, but yeah, there, this, this was a particularly thinly sketched version of that character though. And, and she has a boyfriend the entire time too. 
Um, right. So why was anybody even trying? Yeah, it which was, was really very puzzling weird. to me. Yeah, that there was like she had the boyfriend and and they were just going to go on and proceed with this plan to just steal her from her boyfriend, uh, who's like the most popular, hottest guy in school. Uh, it, it Yeah, it's just it's not the writing is just not super strong. Yeah, no, it's been a long time since you've been in high school, maybe Alice Wu. <laughs> you're like unlike my Alice Wu (laughs) Um, and I guess this is um, I actually I haven't seen Saving Face which is the movie that that Alice Wu made 15 years before this one but yeah and and it's yeah I mean it's like it's it's I'm glad that she came back and made another movie and I hope that she keeps making more I think maybe she was maybe the 15 years of not making movies she maybe was a little rusty but, you know, this one has had such a positive reaction to it. And it won, like, the top prize at Tribeca, apparently, somehow. Really? Um, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, hopefully she'll keep making movies. And, and you know, I do love that, um, you know, she is one of two queer Asian filmmakers that we have on this uh, on this episode. The second being Andrew On, who directed Driveways. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, this movie is just kind of like, eh, like, this is definitely a streamer. And I just wish, I just wish it had done. Yeah. I just wish it had done more. It just felt like it did very little with the setup aside from just like change some genders around. Yeah. It's a bummer. It has, it has such potential. I think that's what kind of, you know, makes, makes you upset the most is like maybe a a script rewrite could have helped so much. Yeah. I would agree. Oh, well. Um, so it is a consume. Yeah. Consume. Uh, and it's streaming on Netflix and rated PG-13 for brief language and teen drinking. Now we have, oh, this is like the teenager part of the of the show. Uh, How to Build a Girl. Johanna Morgan is a bright, quirky 16-year-old who uses her colorful imagination to escape her humdrum life. Desperate to break free from the overcrowded flat she shares with her four brothers and eccentric parents, she submits a music review to a weekly magazine. Despite being brushed off initially, Johanna clamors to the top of the 90s rock music scene by reinventing herself as Dolly Wilde, an outspoken music critic with an insatiable lust for fame, fortune, and men. But is this the type of girl she wants to become, or does she need to start over and build again from the ground up? Okay, first reaction. Oh, are you asking? I was not expect. Oh, I was just <laughs> okay, going to say, okay. I was not <laughs> expecting an English accent <laughs> Okay. from uh, Beanie in this movie. <laughs> So you're you're not familiar with uh, with Caitlin Moran, who she's playing. Uh, I just wasn't expecting a whole movie with someone faking an English accent. <laughs> That's not super uncommon. Uh, I guess not. It was People just a, I, I, I like it time. was right. I know, but it was I don't know. It was just really strange. I guess I, you just see. Uh, I don't know. I just guess I just picture her such an American actress. I think she did a great accent. I was just like, yeah. oh, is this going to be just I mean, a, okay? No, this is the whole movie. I mean, it wouldn't wouldn't have made sense to take this story outside of the UK. But I was just I mean, Renee Zellweger played Bertha Jones three separate times, and she's from Texas. I mean, that's a really good point, and I was <laughs> also struck by that. <laughs> you know, I remain stricken. Can I just be struck? <laughs> can a bitch be stricken i'm stricken <laughs> um yeah no i mean i do think that that there is that the first time that you see you know an actor you've only ever known using you know what we understand to be their own accent try another one it's like oh okay and uh sure and you can be you know maybe slightly more like oh 
cool. Is this working? It did but work. I, There's yeah. just so much talking. She's a lead character. It was just she little, is. It was great. It's ambitious. Like she really. It's a very ambitious. It was ambitious of her to take this role on because this is also, I believe, her first full-on lead. I mean, she was a co-lead in Booksmart, right. Um, right. but she is really. She's the entire movie um, in this, and she is sensational. Amazing. Okay. God damn it. Are we going to disagree on anything? <laughs> you're, like, you're like, I'm going to decide that I hate the last two. So, uh, so <laughs> if you come for Brian Dennehy, I swear to God. <laughs> no, she is like, this is a star turn. I did not know she had this in her. Like, this is such, this is, she has such confidence in this performance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like she owns the screen. Like she has such physical confidence. She is, she is strutting. She is swaggering. She is cocky. She is, she is just, is delicious. This is a, a fierce performance by her. In a way that is, is very true to the character and, and the, uh, the growth that they go through. Right. Because Mm -hmm. you see this, like, you know, there's a, there's a, the story is that she starts out as this big nerd who's made fun of and is super awkward and like just needs a little push in the right direction. And, and that like swagger and confidence that you're talking about is coming from someone who has like the confidence of a 16 year old who's told they've been to like a Mark Zuckerberg type, you know, <laughs> a 16 year old who's told that they are like cool and funny for like the first time. So I think it's even not just that she mm-hmm. had has this in as an actor, but also really pushes it in a as like a teenager would with. Yeah. So a completely undeserved amount of <laughs> swaggering confidence. <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. She definitely brings that kind of like I, I, I felt for. I also was taken sort of mentally back in time to like when you are in your teens or even your early twenties and are just just have no clue about consequences <laughs> and or <laughs> just can get so high on your own supply and just think that you are infallible. And anything you say and do will just be celebrated. Right. Especially um, when you have like some people mm-hmm. celebrating you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this the, to me, this movie is sort of, it's like a feminist British almost famous. Ha. Huh. That was yes. kind of, that was kind of where, it, where, where my mind went watching but it. Way more exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, almost famous was, it was, you know, fairly more, uh, you know, sappy. We can say, I love that movie, but it's sappy. Um, this is not sappy. This is a, this is a much more prickly edgy kind of movie. Um, and honestly, my favorite thing about it is the way that it just eviscerates like the nineties music press, um, (laughs) especially the British nineties music press. But certainly I'm sure that anyone who worked in that scene in the nineties in the U S would be like, Oh yeah, it was the same thing here. It was just a bunch of like shitty white dudes just being Mm. like, what, what's good, this, what's bad, this, um, and just having (laughs) just this unquestioned role as gatekeepers of cool and of what people listen to. Um, and, and it's just, and just the flagrant, flagrant sexism. Mm-hmm. um and you know and and you know and she is kind of you know like she goes through a process that i'm sure a lot of different women can relate to of feeling like oh well i if i i need this boys club to take me seriously so i'm going to like become the kind of girl that they will listen to right and i need to like make them f- afraid of my sexuality but also kind of into me uh but also afraid of my sharp tongue but also craving my approval and, you know, like she just kind of creates this monster persona um, so that she can be accepted by this boys club of, you know, 90s English music scene. 
And um, and it's it's really it's a pretty fearless um, character study. Like, right. you know, like like you come like this. She she is despicable. Like she she does some truly despicable things um, in the name of either because her feelings are hurt or because she needs to be taken more seriously. And, you know, there is this kind of secondary motive of like she needs to like provide for her family. But then by the end, you know, she's, uh, you know, she's kind of burned that bridge. And now it's just kind of lost her mind and has gone gone in too deep in too deep. So and I, I think it really works because the character is like 16, 17. So yeah. that sort of visceral reaction and the uh, ability to, you know, completely transform yourself to uh, make people like you and really uh, be attached to whatever you need to do to maintain that level of popularity and attention. I yeah. think the story is, you know, tracks to like a, a high school popularity story super easily, but this is like on mm -hmm. a huge scale, right? Yeah. Um, and I think it would be harder to accept if this character was an adult um, that maybe should know more, but it it works really well and it still makes you empathize with her, um, even as she is being a, a total monster. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it it is a familiar arc and it is very Katie and Mean Girls, you know. Uh, it's also very, I, I, one thing I have also watched TV-wise is Never Have I Ever on Netflix and that is fantastic. That mm -hmm. is so fucking funny. Um, but, uh, and that, that also, you know, the main character on that show, Davey goes through a very similar arc of, you know, right. uh, we'll just always picture Janice Ian and Mean Girls being like, you know, hey, you know, you're not pretending anymore. You're plastic. Uh, so, you know, the kind of Similar arc, similar arc, but, you know, but played with just such just complete commitment by Beanie Feldstein. Uh, and I, you know, yeah, I she shocked me with how how incredible she was in this. Like, like maybe just because the first time I saw her was in Lady Bird and that was such like a quiet, nerdy character. And she played it so be beautifully that I was like, oh, that's probably how she is. Um, and now seeing her this way, I'm just like, what? Jason learns what acting is. <laughs> I know, you know, you're never, you're never too old to learn something new. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it's absolutely incredible. And it, and she's turns out an actor of, of immense versatility. It feels like a movie. I mean, it is a movie uh, based on a book based on a, a true story. And, and it mm -hmm. feels that way. And in, in that, like, um, I may be like to the opposite of, of some of the other movies that we talked about that this feels like, okay, like everything that happened, like I'm, a, I'm on board with, even though the things are kind of like, uh, she's gotten some amazing opportunities, uh, that maybe a lot of people haven't the way she reacts to them and the way that people around her do all feels very believable. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really appreciated the, the dynamic and relationship with her family. I think that was my favorite part, how that changes and how, like who, how her family is, you know, so clearly like inspired who she is for, for good or for bad. Yeah. Um, and, and it's like one of those things where the, there's this part where her father gives her some music that he wrote and, yeah. um, you're Patty kind of like, Considine plays him and he's so good. So good. Um, you might expect, you know, in a movie written, you know, for, uh, to appeal to an audience, maybe it would be that she would like, you know, stand up for her dad, but yeah. uh, kind of watching what happens feels kind of what would really happen uh, yeah. in that situation. It's, and it's, it's tough. tough to watch. It's very tough to watch. I also think that like just the direction of the movie was beautiful, like the way it takes you sort of dreamily in and out of, you know, mm -hmm. what it feels like to be a music fan at 16 at a yeah. time where, you know, you're going to see the Manic Street Preachers and yeah. someone who's from this little town in, in England, you know, go to these big clubs. Um, I, I felt like I was really on board with that journey. 
Yeah, it was very it was very nostalgic uh, in that sense of, you know, like obviously not having grown up in England, but just even being a music fan in the 90s and just, you know, being a pre-internet music fan and and, you know, and it's just, yeah, that that part of it, I, I, I did buy into that, that kind of same thing of almost famous of just like the seductiveness of it all mm-hmm. um, that that draws her in the way that it does. Um, you know, I, I will say that I feel like the first act is a little bumpy. This is a movie that gets better as it goes. Definitely, definitely. Um, you know, like they 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 do have a, a hard time, uh, kind of contextualizing Joanna as a character in the first act when she's meant to be more bumbling and more awkward and and not having found this Dolly Wild persona yet. There's a whole scene where she like goes on TV and embarrasses ah, herself. Right. Um, that didn't feel. It feels like a different movie than what it settles into. Um, and the dramatic transformation she undergoes in such a short time was a little jarring. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like that part of it is a little weak, but aside from that, I don't really have anything negative to say. Alfie Allen also, um, has a really nice turn in it as a, a musician that she sort of befriends and has a very complex charged relationship with. Um, yeah, yeah I definitely and- I agree about the, the first part. It is a, a little, hard to watch um and i know that we were kind of like thinking i hope i hope the movie doesn't continue this path and you know as she starts to change you kind of have this idea that like oh this is going to happen again she's going to like get made fun of for the way she looks or the way she is awkward or something and and i think that the the route her character takes and ends up like kind of deserving what she gets because she goes, you know, becomes this, this, um, bully villain, uh, Mm -hmm. feels a lot better. It doesn't feel like, I don't know, she's continuing to get picked on for something necessarily outside of her control. Right. I mean, it, it, it doesn't go away forever, but, uh, it, it doesn't make it a whole movie where you're like watching people, you know, make fun of somebody, which was great. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Very true. And then, there's also the fact that she has a wall full of photos of uh, of, base, of various <laughs> iconic figures through history that are played by modern stars uh, that come to life in the photos, such as Lily Allen playing Elizabeth Taylor, which means both Allens are in this, and Jamila Jamil playing Cleopatra. Very fun. Very fun indeed. Um, uh, this is getting a binge it for me. This for me is probably like a binge minus consume plus. Mm. Um, but uh, but yeah, up up in that. Up in that, so my favorite movie of the episode so far. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it's available to rent on Apple, Amazon, and Google Play, and it's rated R for sexual content, language throughout, and some teen drinking. All right, we're on to movie number five, Jason. Movie number five is *The Vast of Night*. In the twilight of the 1950s, on one fateful night in New Mexico, young switchboard operator Faye and charismatic radio DJ Everett discover a strange audio frequency that could change their small town and the future forever. Uh, do we agree that this gives um, Uncut Gen vibes? No. Hey, we disagree. Really? <laughs> ah, yay. <laughs> you bastard. I was not reminded of Uncut Gems in the slightest. No. Wow, yeah. The way the, the sound really oh. builds anxiety, um, oh, both through the incessant talking and just the, you know, the sort of sounds that they discover... Mm. Um, I found it had a very uncut gem, uncut gems vibe. That's interesting. I I see what you mean, but I guess to me, uncut gems is so bombastic from frame one, as opposed to this movie, which I found to be much more sort of elegant. Um, and it has uh layers. It has levels. 
uh, as opposed to Uncut Gems, which is just at 11 the entire time. Um, <laughs> this, to me, has more of a gradual build. Um, and the talking also is not nearly as aggressive or abrasive. No, but um, it is as incessant. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, you know, it's a, it's a chatty movie. Um, you know, this is, this is a, this is a really sort of, to me, a really ingenious little micro-budgeted sci-fi movie that really makes sort of excellent use of what little money they had making it, mm-hmm. um, without sacrificing any quality. Um, I really love this. Really? Go on. Yeah. Um, so right from right from the beginning, I was really taken in by just sort of the the mood and the look of the film. You know, this is a movie that takes place in the 50s in a small town in New Mexico. And, you know, it starts, um, you know, following its characters, starting at the sort of like this basketball game. And maybe I'm just like a sucker for like 50s high school looking things. But so right off the bat, I was like, this is speaking my language and I'm enjoying it. And um, and I did find that the dialogue as we're following these two, these two characters, uh, Everett and Faye, as they're sort of just like walking around and just sort of talking about their lives. And um, I found that, if you will, sorkening. Yeah, as they're sorkening. Um, I was I was engaged with what they were talking about. I found the dialogue to be sort of very believable. And I, I liked the characters. I was invested in both of them. Um, I thought it was a really I think, you know, we ha- it's been a long time since there has been sort of a movie set in the 50s in this way. So I really enjoyed having uh, sort of a more modern sensibility brought to that point in time um, and done it without trying to, it doesn't really, uh, it doesn't really, it's not very affected. It's not like, they're not all these like fifties wink, wink, like cultural moments. Like it mm. really just sort of takes it as it is and meets it where it is. And, um, and then, you know, we have this very, this movie is sort of the definition of a slow burn, but I will say that it's a slow burn more successfully than some, because I feel like, the the burn is constant and it's just like you can feel like the boil being turned up like one degree each each moment that the that the movie um progresses so to me there's never any like dead air so to speak there's never any staleness like the story that you can feel just in the mood the atmosphere of the movie this mounting sense that like something is happening um and that kind of dread but also I love that it wasn't just dread. It was also just wonder and awe um, as they gradually become aware that there's something in the sky. And um, it reminded me a lot of um, of movies like this is like a micro budgeted version of like Super 8 in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure, you know, some would compare it to Close Encounters, which true confession I've never seen. Um, but based on what I've heard, it's probably a little bit like this. Um I yeah I just love this little this little world that this movie makes. I think there's a lot of ingenious cinematography, uh, where it sort of will just like it just um, will film. Apparently, they literally used a go kart for that shot, where it just goes all the way across town. A go kart? Yeah, they used a go kart. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, like this they they had like nothing <laughs> to make this movie amazing. Um, and, uh, so they used a go-kart for this one scene where the camera takes us from, uh, from Everett to Faye, um, or reverse camera for which, uh, I think they do it maybe twice, but, um, so it's a really small story. It reminded me a little bit of signs as well. 
um, in a sense that it's sort of like, it's like a sort of a alien movie, a UFO movie that's told very much on the ground. Um, and it's very, very intimate, very much about these, these characters that we stick with the entire time as they're sort of navigating their own space and trying to process what is understand what is happening and trying to gather information. And, uh, yeah, I was just on board all the way, uh, with this movie. Uh, I thought, you know, the, the sort of the big finish was dazzling. Mm, um, yeah, that's true. it all takes place in the course of one evening and does that very well. Um, I thought both of the lead actors were, you know, these are unknown actors and they were both fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I love this movie. I think it, it makes, that's also like an unexpectedly, um, a very aware statement about race that happens within the movie that mm. I, wasn't, I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Um, this, this, I can't think, I know there are a lot of movies that it gives you the, uh, reminds you of, um, or has the feeling of, but there, I can't think of another movie like this one. Yeah. Where you kind of come in in this way and and are i think consistently throughout the movie don't know what what's going to happen next yeah um they set it up kind of as is this going to be a story about friends and then it doesn't really kind of become about them at all at one point um it feels very it feels very realistic um in 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 the small town uh it doesn't go too far out it doesn't you know show you too much and so in that way, everything becomes very familiar. Um, and then it's also this like, you know, super surreal story of space invaders. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so it's both huge and also very tiny. Um, exactly. they, there's, there's just, it just comes in really, uh, really hot with a lot of talking, a lot <laughs> of like, so again, sorkening, you know, in a way that was like kind of, again, I've never heard before and charming. And there's this thing, Everett is this like uh, electric wizard and, that he's trying to come into this school basketball game to help figure out what's what's not working. And they like tell this story like four different times about the squirrel that bit through a wire. <laughs> and I was like, I can't believe they're going to, I feel like a lot of movies wouldn't do that. Right. Like they wouldn't tell, retell the same, the same story, but it, it also it provides such great uh, uh, feeling Color, of like detail. the small time, right. The small mm -hmm. town and how people like, you know, tell the same story all the time. Yeah. Um. It's just it's such a strange movie. It's not you know it's definitely not one that you pick up your phone during because you you don't feel like you know what's going to happen enough to be comfortable mm -hmm. to pick up your phone and look away. Yeah. Um. And it, yeah, I think it's very creative use of apparently not having much is 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 really focusing in on on these characters and and listening like a whole huge plot point of the movie is is them listening to someone talk to them on the phone. Mm hmm. And you know what is that that's just showing some some headshots and, and listening yeah it's such it's so it's so simple but they do so much with it and i think it does kind of in some ways um spotlight kind of you know the fading art of just being able to just listen <laughs> just listening mm -hmm. to people talk um and it does take place you know in the sort of you know obviously pre 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 internet you know analog culture um, and, uh, and, you know, when one of the characters is a switchboard operator and, you know, and just, and just listening, just watching someone's face, listen to someone else talk. And it's just riveting, even though it, it sounds like it could be dry because the things that these, these two big monologues tell us are pretty out there. Right. And, you know, and you can feel, you know, you get a little, little, you know, sort of, you know, get little pimples on your skin, like listening to it, you know, it's just kind of like, Oh boy. Um, like this sounds ominous. And, um, 
Yeah, this is this is the first film. Um, this is a film debut by a director named Andrew Patterson. And what a debut. Um, yeah. You know, I do. <laughs> I was aware watching it. This The cynic in me was like, did he make this movie just to give Spielberg a raging boner um, and to get oh, himself God. hired to direct like the next big whatever? Um, because this is the kind of the kind of calling card that a lot of sort of white male directors of the past have made and like taken to the film festival circuit. And then, you know, the Spielbergs of the world see it and it makes them nostalgic. And then they're just like, Oh, this guy's like me. I got to lift him up. And, huh. um, you know, and that's what happened with like Colin Trevorrow, uh, who did city not guaranteed, which also similarly was like a low budget sci-fi movie. And then he was, you know, suddenly he's directing Jurassic world. Um, but you know, but I have no reason to think that that is what is going to happen, but it could, if he wanted it, I'll just leave it at that. Um, but I think this is, I just, yeah, like it just hits the ground running. The pace is so consistent. Uh, like it never really drops and it only, and it just gradually builds and it has just a remarkable finale. And yeah, this is just a beautiful, special little movie. And, uh, I, yeah, I'm absolutely in love with it. Well, once again, uh, are you, what are you giving this one? Binge it. Ooh. Yeah, this might be this might be my pick of the month. Ooh, um, okay. It might also be tied with the next one. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, I would yeah, I'd be I'd be hard pressed to try to rank the two of them, uh, this and Driveways. But um, but yeah, um, it's Ugh, no one's well, asking you to. <laughs> it's a good thing this isn't a show where we rank movies. <laughs> I mean, um, having watched the the last three yesterday, I think was possible because the last three are are really good, yeah, in completely different ways. So I think you know if if the takeaway is to go watch How to Build a Girl, The Vast of Night, and Driveways, I'm I'm pleased with that. Yeah, and that's funny because when I when we were texting about what movies we were going to do on the episode. And you're like, the only, you're like, I've watched everything except, and you named the three good ones. And you're like, which <laughs> ones should prioritize? I'm like, those are the good ones. <laughs> you got to watch them all if you can, please. Mm-hmm. You were right. Oh, this <laughs> show sucks. <laughs> you're like, I'm just going to go ahead and wrap it up now. Thanks, everyone. I mean, Bye. Fine. We agree on everything. Um, <laughs> Vast of Night is streaming on Amazon Prime, and it's rated PG-13 for brief, strong language. Which takes us to Driveways. A lonesome boy accompanies his mother on a trip to clean out his late aunt's house and ends up forming an unexpected friendship with the retiree who lives next door. Garbage. Uh, (laughs) Is what that house is filled with. Yes, it is. Thank you for finishing my thought. Mm -hmm, You're welcome. (laughs) Let's just keep on finishing each other's... Sandwiches. Sandwiches. Yeah. What can be said about driveways... That we haven't already said in the other reviews we did earlier. <laughs> it's the the title. Every time I go to say it, it throws me because ha- something about having making driveway plural makes it sound like it's this like philosophical descriptor. It's just like, well, when you go driveways through life, like it's almost like sideways. Uh, I don't know. It, 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 the the title the title works on on several levels for me. Um, um, it's really funny. We had a, a huge discussion here at the house last night because I was like, okay, I have one more to watch, cup. uh, me and my girlfriend. Uh, and I was like, it's called driveways. And she was like, ah, another indie movie. Um, and I was like, what is it about the name? And she was like, driveways. Why is it plural? What is driveways? And I, and then I was like, well, what did you want to be like the driveway? And she was like, yeah, then I would know that it's like an action movie. And like, what is, what is driveways? What is this going to be about? Oh, very astute. Very astute, Saul. 
such a topic. <laughs> yeah, you know, driveways. That's hilarious. Yeah, no, it is. It's just like something about that title. Like no major movie would ever be called Driveways. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> it just would never happen. Only this movie. <laughs> only this beautiful little movie. Uh, so we have Hong Chow, the great Hong Chow, uh, starring as the mother um, slash the grieving sister uh, who comes with her young son uh, to temporarily move into this small town to help clear up her deceased sister's belongings, which it turns out she was a hoarder and there's a lot of them. Um, there is a great profile on Hong Chow written by E. Alex Jung that was um, in Vulture recently that I would highly recommend because I mean, she has kind of, she's really gone through it ever mm. since, um, ever since the, the, the downsizing fiasco. Right. Um, and, uh, and that was, yeah. I mean, what she, this, this, this profile really sort of gives you a good sense of <laughs> what that was like for her um, to have to undergo that sort of epic press tour that ultimately amounted to almost nothing um, because it was such a widely misunderstood character and performance. Mm -hmm. um, but I love her in this movie. She just brings so much to the role. Um, and also I was just looking at an interview with Andrew on briefly before this. And um, so he uh, directed, but did not write this, but he said this was the first time ever that he, as a filmmaker, has been able to say to his producers, how about we cast Asian actors? And it actually worked. Because oh, wow. on the page, these were not Asian characters. Mm. Um, and his thinking there wasn't simply about representation. He wanted it to sort of heighten the extent to which these characters are outsiders in the small community. Mm. Um, but without making it, he didn't want to overdo it. Uh, you know, like there's one scene in particular with a sort of a nosy neighbor lady played by Christine Ebersole, um, who kind of comes around and is like, oh, are you, you must be related to her. Right. Um, and, you know, just, just little microaggressions like that. And they said they even, um, she continues to ask them questions and she's like, so where are you from? And, um, and they said they, they discussed like having her be like, no, but originally where are you from? Mm -hmm. But they, but they didn't, they didn't want to overdo it. So right, this, is, right. this is a very restrained, very nuanced character study in the movie. Interesting. I, I feel like it's, I'm glad you said that thinking through the movie and the characters now, I could see how it was, could have, could have been framed as, you know, race agnostic mm -hmm. and how placing different people in that in in those roles would you know elicits a response from the audience uh because we do view the world racially right mm -hmm. um very interesting that's a really interesting note yeah and even you know the extent to which i think that making the characters asian um and having this this sort of this other main character played by the late great brian dennehy um in one of his final performances and what a what a, a note to go out on um, you know, you're expecting uh, that there's going to be perhaps tension uh, between, you know, you see like this old white man sitting on his porch and you see this kind of like boho Asian mom and her little son could show up and you're like, uh oh, um, you know, which I think you might not have anticipated, um, you know, had they been white characters. 
And uh, so just even just, just oh, right. Way, completely different. Yeah, completely. Micro- different. I think one of the first times you see him sitting on the porch, he's wearing his VFW hat that says Korea mm-hmm. in the back. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, he is. Um, so and just and just, you know, just as something as simple as just changing casting and not even not even adding a word of dialogue. About um, it, yeah. Just just gives you a completely different experience of the movie. Hmm. Uh, so, but yeah, this is another. It's a very, very small, very intimate, very character-driven movie, um, and uh, and it's just it's just so much heart, so much beauty, um, so many great, well-observed little moments. Um, ultimately, incredibly moving final. So. Two. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you if you didn't know what, that Brian Dennehy has passed, uh, what that would be like to watch that scene. But it's it's really something else knowing that he is he's yeah, he died shortly after this movie came out or yeah. was done. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, the three characters of this movie, um, the mother, the son and, and the neighbor are really three well-written interesting people going through incredibly uh formative and and transformative moments in their life and and there's still so little dialogue and so much of it is just carried by how they navigate the scenes um i I think until you get to you know brian denny's last speech he doesn't say much of much about anything it's you know small conversations the the relationship between him and 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 the young boy is almost like characterized by the fact that they're it's short on words and big on company Mm, um, mm -hmm, in a mm -hmm. way that, uh, you know, the little boy's character is kind of awkward and doesn't like to talk that much, Um, you know, eventually opens up a little bit more to him, but so little is said. And uh, the mother's relationship with her, with her sister and and having to reconcile that, you know, she speaks a little bit to, to the neighbor about it, but ultimately it's so much of this is internal. You're watching three people struggle who are not very communicative internally. um, And it is so powerful. Yeah. 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 It's incredible. Every, every scene just feels so authentic and lived in, you know, the whole, the VFW scene, just all, all these minor characters, all these minor characters at the VFW, the woman who works there, Dennehy's guy friends, like it just feels so, it just feels so real. Like every, every, every detail, every performance it just feels very authentic and very genuine and it just, you know, makes the whole thing feel that much more powerful. That, oh, that whole scene, in the VFW. Oh yeah. my God. It was just so, per- everything was just so perfect. Yeah. What an amazing movie. I feel like I don't want to say too much about it, but yeah, not that it's like a twisty movie or anything, but, but right. yeah, you know, don't, yeah. don't want to, don't want to oversell it. Um, but you know, and there is, I mean, there's only so much to say because it is such a small movie, but all we can say is, you know, that we, recommend it <laughs> it's a it's a we, definitely a binge it for me absolutely a binge it for me um don't be turned off by the name driveways <laughs> don't worry it's not the driveway it's driveways <laughs> and it's i think the driveway with vin diesel and i think this one is actually still at 100 percent on Rock really Tomatoes. let me let me let me double check that yeah driveways is still at 100 percent Oh, it deserves every one of those percents. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's not one of those ones that's 100% based on like three reviews. It's based on looks like 66. So not too shabby. I feel like I know every one of those characters. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know how much of it is also that like 
you know, it, the, the Ohio of it all. Like, I know it doesn't take place in Ohio, I don't think. Um, but, you know, it looks like a place that we could have grown up. Um, and, you know, so there is that, that sense of, at least for me, of being like, oh, yeah, these, 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 these you know, suburbs. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I, I think regardless, there's just so much that feels universal in, in the humanity of this story. What an amazing movie. Um, definitely a binge it for me. Yes. Uh, we agreed on all six. <laughs> I mean, we'll try to fight more in June. Uh, at least at know. the end of this, I hate myself. <laughs> at least, yes. I can't it, hate it, you. It's only internal conflict uh, <laughs> at this point. Only self-loathing. It's all directed inward. Uh, Driveways is available to rent on Apple, Amazon, and Google Play, and it's unrated. Hmm. Uh, but it'll probably be PG-13 for language. So that's that. That was May. Uh, that was May. What a delight. <laughs> <laughs> There's six hours of delight for May, yep. and, and it's those last three movies. There's about <laughs> six hours of diversion. It's the first three movies. Yes, I know. And I, it's, I feel like whenever, whenever I'm putting together these, these scripts, I always lead with the movies that I feel like there was probably the most interest in. And then like, like the, the really good ones get buried at the end. Yeah. We uh, so, I don't know, maybe I should rethink that, but shake them up for next time. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, uh, uh, looking, looking at the clock, we've managed to fit in 10 movies in, in about an hour 20. So that's not too bad. It's not bad. It's uh, yeah. it's a lot easier to go through than we don't disagree. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, hopefully we'll have something to fight about next month. But in the meantime, uh, we are simpatico from May. Yes. Um, thank you so much for listening. Um, be sure to subscribe, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Jason is on Twitter at Excess Baggage. I am at Fight Balance. Thank you so much. Bye, guys. Bye bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end, that's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.